Good morning. Great to be here with you. Um, I'm going to have you, uh, we're going to read in a minute, but I'm going to have you stand up. This is what happens when you have a classroom teacher in charge of teaching in the morning. You're going to need to put, you, you don't need to put anything down, but what I'm going to have you do in just a minute is uh, I'm going to have you, uh, you're going to find a partner. It's gonna, not going to, nothing too scary. All right, just, just wait a minute. And uh, so why don't you turn and face another person? Now, I'm not a real fan of threes. So if you need to, like, maybe go across the chair, but I want you to look at, at someone, all right? Some people are like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe I have to look at somebody. I thought this was a safe time where I could. You guys haven't turned at all. You're just, you're, you don't, stop looking at me. Um, you need to turn and face someone. So if you have a three, all right, we're going to practice um, something. When I say clap once, what do you think you're going to do? Clap. All right, so clap once, clap twice. Perfect. All right, you now know everything you need to know in order to do this activity. We're going to start out, um, because uh, I was working on this this morning, I'm thinking about food because I didn't take the time to eat. So I'm thinking, so what I would like you to do is I would like to share with the person that you're facing, what is the greatest food on the face of the earth? All right, and then why? Go. Clap once, clap twice. What is the greatest movie? Now, this is going to take a little more time. What is the greatest movie of all time? Please talk to your partner. Convince them that you are right. Clap once, clap twice. Two more times. Next one. Automobiles. We all have kind of opinions about automobiles. And so I would like you to share with your partner the greatest automobile ever created. What is it? Go. Clap once, clap twice. Last one. The greatest, most amazing chapter or verse of Scripture. What is the greatest chapter or verse or group of verses in Scripture? Go. Go. 
Clap once, clap twice. Have a seat. <clears throat> if we were to get together a group of theologians, all right, pastors and maybe people that teach at seminaries, and we would force them to do what you just did and go face to face and answer that last question. What is the most amazing chapter or verse in the Bible? There are a good number of them that would say Romans chapter 8. There are a lot of them that would be in that category of Romans chapter 8 is the greatest chapter in all of Scripture. Now that's dangerous work, but let me tell you one guy. I like this guy, Charles G. Trumbull. Like, why can't I have a cool name like that? I mean, you just sound like you have authority. This is what he says from a long time ago. He says, The eighth of Romans has become particularly precious to me, beginning with no condemnation, ending with no separation, and in between, no defeat. This wondrous chapter sets forth the gospel and plan for salvation, the life of freedom and victory, the hopelessness of the natural man, and the righteousness of the born again, the indwelling of Christ and the Holy Spirit, the resurrection of the body and the blessed hope of Christ's return, the working together of all things for our good, every tense of the Christian life, past, present, and future, and glorious climactic song of triumph, no separation in time or eternity from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That is all in chapter 8 of Romans. Now, as soon as you start making something the greatest, you're in trouble. And so, there's always that guy, and in this time, it's Martin Lloyd-Jones. One time he said, obviously he was faced with this dilemma. Someone approached him and said, what is the greatest chapter in the world? Here is his answer. He said, for a pastor, the greatest book or chapter should be the one he is expounding on at the moment. There's always that guy. And I guess he's kind of right. For it says that all Scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, and training in righteousness. Now, while I may not be able to convince you that the greatest chapter in the Bible is Romans 8, I can say this. Every day is great with Romans 8. I can say that. Now, some of you are looking at my silly pen, and you're like, no, I don't need one of those. Okay. But you're going to have all kinds of opportunities to understand how great Romans 8 is. Because, see, I found out on Friday what the preaching schedule is for Romans 8, and I was very, very excited. Because when we're done with Romans 8, you know what we're going to be able to say? Merry Christmas. That's how long it's going to take. So I have about 80 of these. And right now you don't want one. But like mid-October, you're going to be like, 
I need to get one of those buttons. Or maybe the reluctant people in November are like, all right, finally. So you can come up to me. I will be packing around a little bundle of these. And if you are courageous enough to come to me and say, oh, I got to have one of those buttons. Because it is so true. I really believe it's true. Every day is great with Romans 8. Would you please stand and let's read this. Not the whole book or chapter, just four verses. Sometimes when Greg asks you to stand up, I'm like, oh my gosh, because like 65 verses, you're like, I'm up here to stay for a while. Four verses, we're going to make it. You'll be sitting down in just a moment. All right, Romans 8, chapter 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Let me open in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I so need this text. I have forgotten that every day is great with Romans 8. I pray that you would help me to, to communicate this, that I would be obedient to what you have taught me, that you would open up our hearts and our minds, and that because of this we would walk out of here changed. I pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Please have a seat. I titled tonight uh, our gate, or this morning, our gate with Romans 8. Now, gate, what is gate? Gate is like how you walk, all right? So it's another word for walk. And, uh, and you may say, well, why did you name it that, if you look at verse 4, the word that I kind of keyed in on, it says, it's fulfilled for us, and then, who walk according to the flesh, not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. I, I, and so, it's how we walk. There, there's something about this section that says it's, it's how, you, how you walk. And so, there are going to be four things that we're going to talk about as I walk through these four verses. The first is the walk of the unburdened. Then we're going to talk about the walk of those who are in Christ. H how do they walk? The walk of the humble. And the walk of those who obey. So let's jump into verse 1. It says, therefore, there, excuse me, there is there, therefore, now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I always get mixed up with my NIV. I got my NIV going in my head. NIV translation says, therefore, there is now, and ESV makes me all confused. So that's why I'm tripping all over that. Let's start with the word therefore. Uh, therefore is in this passage of, uh, in Romans, uh, it's in there 17 times. This is the ninth one. That means it's the center, therefore, which means that there are eight in front of it and eight in back. What does that mean? Pretty much nothing. 
I don't know how you apply that, but it's just really cool when it all kind of lines up like that. I think it's really kind of cool. What is Paul saying? Most commentators state that, uh, that what Paul is saying at this very pivotal chapter at the beginning of Romans 8 is that this therefore is saying, because of everything that I've just said, because of, of chapter 1 and chapter 2 and 3 of wrath and chapter 4 of faith and, and 5 and 6 and 7 and wretchedness, Paul's saying, because of all this, therefore, I'm going to say something that doesn't make any sense. I, I, I really couldn't say it unless I had all that has gone before. So he says, therefore, now, all right, now is a time-anchored piece. You may say, well, when did the now happen? Well, the now, if you were to look back and look at the whole span of time, you could say, the now happened as Jesus died on the cross when he said, it is finished. And God confirmed Christ's claim and raised him from the dead. That's the now. You could also say that it's the now as, as Paul spoke these words and he probably had a scribe because he had bad handwriting or he couldn't read or both, uh, couldn't uh, see very well. And so when he said that and when he said now the the scribe wrote that down on the parchment in this section of Romans. And it was true then. What we're going to be able to say was now, then. But it also is true for, for every single person. When they come to an understanding of what God has done that I'm going to explain to you, the now is right then. Now. There is no condemnation. The no in the Greek is not a wussy no, it's, it's a very strong no. It's emphatic. It says absolutely, positively, without a shadow of a doubt, there is no condemnation. Condemnation. What does condemnation mean? Well, if you're going to condemn something, if we're going to condemn a building, um, it could put a... Seems like you know you put signs condemned. I don't see that anymore. Way back in the day, you'd put on there condemned. What does that mean? It means we're done. We're done here. This building is over. There is nothing. There is no hope for this building. We are going to rip it down and start over. It is useless. Back when I was in third grade. You know, sometimes condemned is, is what it feels like in the moment. You know, kind of perception is reality. And I was on the, the field, I was in the outfield playing kickball. And I was standing there at my position. And another kid was at home plate and he kicks the ball. It wasn't a very hard kick. Just kind of a soft, kind of gentle lob in my direction. Like something that anybody could catch. But not me. You know, just somehow it goes through the elbows and falls to the ground. And as I look around, condemnation. And you feel it when you're in third grade. Your understanding is limited. Like, my life is over. And I remember the bell rang. 
at that particular moment, you know, and then we have to go in. So I have to carry the condemnation with me into the building, looking at other people on my team, and there's no hope for me, none whatsoever. That's condemnation. I've sat at a meeting where I sought reconciliation and understanding and I brought in a third party and I sat with this person and they were so angry they were so angry at me I didn't understand why and so I asked and this person avoided the question and the person that was to kind of arbitrate this thing asked again And there was no answer. There was just a look of condemnation. There is nothing I can say to you that will change my opinion of you. And I didn't know what to do with that. That's condemnation. What I'm saying to you today is that no matter how broken you are, God is saying there is no condemnation. No matter how bad you screw up, drop the ball in third grade, or maybe something more significant, there is now no condemnation. There is never a time when we seek God and desire His counsel and understanding that He will leave us hanging and wondering what is wrong? And we are left with a sense you are condemned. There is not that. What Paul is saying is there is no condemnation. It is not of God. Are there times where we feel like God is kind of muscling in on us and saying you're doing this wrong or you screwed up? Yes. But the difference between condemnation and, and a conviction of the Holy Spirit is that there is hope and there is action and there is next steps. That's different than what I'm talking about. Condemnation is when it's over and you just want to die and you got nothing to do. As Paul opens the book, of Romans 8. This summary sentence is going to unpack, well, it's going to indicate what everything else in the book of Romans chapter 8 is talking about. There is therefore no condemnation. The next kind of title with regard to the walk of the unburdened, is to be free. In verse 2, it talks about this. It says, For the law of the Spirit of life, that's the Holy Spirit, sets you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. You see, the gate of those who walk in Romans 8 
They walk unburdened. Not only do they walk without condemnation, but there is something about being set free by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit sets us free from the busyness, from expectation, from a law that points to the holiness of God, but really only stirs up wretchedness, like Ryan talked about last week. It just stirs up the wretchedness inside of us. It says, don't do this, and, and do this, and these lists. And all we do is we balk at that. And what God is saying in this text, it says, the Spirit of life, the Holy Spirit comes to set you free. You are to be free. Over the weekend, uh, we had some uh, friends, uh, our MC came up to, uh, my in-laws have a lake cabin. And um, they came, we had a great time, and then um, as often happens if you have a lake cabin, something blows up. And so the, the shore station blew up, and so the next day, we had to kind of rescue the boat and do all that. So I'm driving the boat to the dock because we have to put it on the trailer and it's all a mess. And I'm sitting there waiting and I see up on a hill, the sun was kind of behind and, and so you kind of see a silhouette. I saw a girl of about maybe, I don't know, nine or ten. And she was, she was skipping. Like, like, she was like skipping. I'm like, there it is. That's what it means to, to walk with Romans 8. Her, she had long hair and, and it was flowing and she was so free. I said, there's, there's no condemnation there. She has no understanding. She is completely free of any obligation. And that's the deal. There is no condemnation. And you are set free. My dad, when he flies, he checks all of his luggage in. All he carries is like maybe a newspaper. And as I was thinking about this, that's how, that's how we're supposed to travel. We're supposed to travel like that. With Christ, there is no carry-on luggage. There is no shame. If you are ashamed right now, you can give that up. There's no expectation on you. There's no guilt. There's no missed opportunity. There's no condemnation. It's how we're supposed to walk. And it's unmistakable. It's unmistakable. To see someone who walks with condemnation, you see it all over their body. We're not to walk like that. Now there's a caveat, little prepositional phrase that we need to go into, and that is in Christ. This is not for everybody. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's it. If you are not in Christ, you are condemned. It's pretty straightforward. Until you say, well, well what does it mean to be in Christ? Like, what does that mean? Like, how, how am I supposed to wear that? Like, what does it look like when I walk? Can you explain that a little bit? Let me try. 
It's a big deal for Paul. 164 times in his writing, he talks about this idea of in Christ or in him or whatnot. What we know about being in Christ, it is to be saved. And, and one of the great verses is in Romans. It's not in Romans 8. Maybe it should be. It's in Romans 9, or excuse me, Romans 10, 9 and 10. It says this, But if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. From, for from the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. By accepting that, you are in Christ. Let's look at another passage. 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, if anyone accepts his sacrifices, confesses and believes, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Okay? that clarify it for you? I give everything, just, you're just all clear. Now I know exactly what it means to be in Christ. So what thoughts or feelings need to be overcome in order to walk in Christ? Like, what, what, what do I have to do in, in order to do that? Let's go to Abraham. In chapter 4, we talked about, um, of Romans, um, we were talking about Abraham. And we pick up the scene Abraham is kind of, he's kind of bummed. He doesn't have any kids, and, um, and his name means, at this point in the story, his name was Abram, which is exalted father, which is kind of hard to be when you don't have a kid. So he's in his tent, and God comes to him, and he says, hey, let's take it outside. And so he and God go outside, and God says to him, I am going to make you the father of like millions. Now, Abram has zero kids. And at that point, God lit up the sky. I think it's the clearest night in the history of all of creation because God just likes to show off. And Abraham looks up and he can see all these stars. And God says, your kids are going to be more than that. And Abraham says, okay, I believe you. I'm in. And it says in Romans that, that it even says in Genesis, it was credited to him as righteousness. Like, boom, you are righteous. You are walking with God. Now, the tie-in on how to walk with Christ is I picture the story, this is not from the Bible, I made this up. I pictured the story like three weeks later, some people that Abram doesn't know come to the house. Comes out, doesn't know him. Hey, what's your name? My name's Abram. Oh, that means exalted father. How many kids you got? None. Oh. Huh. A couple weeks later, more people show up. This just keeps happening, actually for decades. And we even change his name to Abram, which, which even gets worse. Like it was great if you were exalted father, and now you're father of many. Now you have to show up at the door like, who are you? I'm father of many. How many kids you got? I got none. 
When we walk in Christ, I think the same thing is true there. What Abraham had to do was he had to walk with an understanding of what God had promised him. And that was his focus. Now the difference is, I do believe that the Holy Spirit comes in us and is truly in us. And I do believe that we are new creations. But at least if your life is anything like my life, there are days where I'm not so sure. Where there are days that I'm like, you know what, I don't really feel that new. I kind of feel kind of normal and gunky and but what we have to do is we have to be like Abraham. He didn't have any kids, but he walked like it. When he walked around, I'm convinced he walked like he had 15 kids. How are you doing? He didn't say my name's my name's Abraham. My name's Abraham. How many kids you got? I got none. I got some on the way. That's how we are to walk. We, when we are new creations in Christ, how do you feel? I feel gross. I'm, I'm sad. I'm like, well, but I'm in Christ. I am a new creation. He is doing something in me that I can't quite figure out, but I am going to walk like that. That is the gate of those that walk with, like with Romans 8. It's what we're supposed to do. It's what he calls us to. It's what, what it means to be in Christ. Is to believe what he has done for us and it shows. The next thing we're going to walk at is that we need to walk humble. Could be that, man, no condemnation. I'm in Christ. I got everything. I'm just awesome. Be careful. Look at verse 3. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us. The walk of the humble understand that this is all God's doing. Look at how many times, just in that, those two verses, one and a half, God did what the law could not do. He set out His holy expectation. He said, here's the expectation. Couldn't do it. Couldn't do it. And so, what did he do? He sent his son. Second thing. God did that. We didn't have anything to do with that. We didn't ask for that. We didn't call for that. We didn't even know what that looked like. God sent his son. To do what? To condemn sin in the flesh. The sin that is in me is condemned. Not by anything, not by my spiritual antenna getting myself all funky. Not even by walking a certain way. Right now when we're looking at, I am spiritually dead. If you look at Romans 8, or 1, 18 through 2 something, uh, actually into 3, there's no one that seeks God. We have, we have no reason for boasting. We haven't done anything. God just went and 
grabbed my sorry person and just stood me up and gave me a spiritual life that I had nothing to do with. And what we see just in these passages is that God did everything. He sent His Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. He condemned sin in the flesh. And then He satisfied the righteous requirements of the law that we couldn't meet. So we need to be careful when we walk. And we need to walk with an understanding that God has done it. He has done it all. And then the last point that I'd like to make this morning is the walk of those who obey. Obey is a four-letter word. If you work in the high schools, it just doesn't fly to go, you need to obey me. It just, the tone is not right. It just, you may need to convince that, but you don't say that. I don't think I've ever said that in like 25 years of education. You need to obey me. Haven't said that. You need to do what I'm saying. I've said that. Where do I get that? Verse 4. In order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully, might be fulfilled in us. Now, who's this us? What is this us doing? It's those who walk, not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. What, what does that mean? What does it mean to walk according to the Spirit? What does that mean? Walk according to the Spirit. Not according to the flesh. So if I walk according to the flesh, if I'm hungry, then I walk towards a restaurant. If I feel lust, I walk in that direction. If I feel selfishness or greed, I'm walking in that. If I walk according to the Spirit, I'm being obedient to what the Spirit desires. And we're going to look at that in great detail in the next couple of weeks. But for right now, let me take a look at at a verse in Ephesians. Ephesians 2.10. It says, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. There is an obedience that God calls us to, that we would walk in that. Now, now I want to be clear. Obedience is not a means to earn what is given. I'm not obedient so that I can earn what is being talked about today. I'm actually obedient as the result of what I'm talking about today. There is a profound and significant difference. That the reason that I am free to obey is because there is no condemnation. And because I am free. And because God did it all and there's nothing that there's nothing on me and doesn't depend on me. And out of that grace that has been given to me, I obey. Does that mean I obey perfectly? No. But I'm walking according. It's almost like there's a path. And the path is those things which God created in advance for me to do. And every now and then I'm wandering around on the pa- off the path and I have to get back on. And so that's the fourth So as I close this morning, how do you walk? 
Are you burdened? Are you carrying stuff? You just don't need to. Is there shame that is stuck in your backpack and you can't reach it and you think you're just supposed to carry that around? You're supposed to carry that around for your whole life. It's not true. We need to walk in Christ by faith. We need to believe what the, God's word says and we need to grasp it with our flexing with that muscle of faith and say, I believe that this is God has done something in me and I will believe it. We need to walk humbly. We have nothing to boast about. And we need to strive for obedience. Understanding that when we stumble and fall, He is there. Every day is great with Romans 8. It really is. But it has nothing to do with us. And everything to do with what God has done for you. That you might be free. Let me close this in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I do thank you. I thank you for this word. I thank you for the blessing that it is to be underneath your authority. To be underneath your grace. To be underneath your sovereignty, and to be able to walk free. Lord, I pray that you would help us to set down these burdens that we carry, these expectations, these understandings that are not of you, for they just, they impede us, the sin that so easily entangles. Help us to untangle it. Help us to walk like we're your kids. Because when we do, it is unmistakable. Pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.